Welcome to Court Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. We are off to the second half of the season, really just the half after the trade deadline. Want to talk about some of those new additions as well as some new signings, some people getting extensions as well as some 10-day contracts. Well, what's the verdict as well as some injury updates from players. Let's get started. Talking about the new additions, uh, we have Victor Oladipo with the Heat, Aldridge with the Nets, Drummond with the Lakers, Vucevic with the Bulls, Gordon with the Nuggets, a lot of notable big men as well as Oladipo as a guard. Which of these do you feel is the best fit? How do you think that their fits have been overall? Well, so far, if we're looking at the additions, a lot of them have performed pretty well. Um, if we look at the Nuggets with the addition of Aaron Gordon, He's been pretty seamless ever since he's gotten there. Um, they haven't lost yet since he's been there. And he most recently went off for 24 points against his old team. So um, I think that they're making a point to try to integrate him and find him. And he's honestly thriving there even better than I thought that he would. Um, he's really been efficient. He's really helped their defense. And he's added an athletic big somewhat of an element that they haven't had on that team. So I think that that's been a really good addition. Um, Vucevic, ever since he's joined the Bulls, he's been putting up great numbers, but it seems that despite that, it hasn't really translated to winning that much. They actually just got their first win with him yesterday. So his numbers have been solid since he's gotten there. He's put up 20 points in all but one game since he's arrived, but it seems that it's come at the expense of Zach Levine who's seen his efficiency and scoring go down a little bit since the addition of Nikola Vucevic. I think that long-term, it'd still be a good fit because it would seem that their skill sets are complementary, but I think that Levine is probably right now having to adjust to having another high-volume usage guy on his team, whereas before, the offense basically just ran through him the entire time, and it was just his ball to, to shoot, pass, and do whatever he wanted almost every possession. So it's going to take a little bit of an adjustment for him. Um, as far as Victor Oladipo goes for the Heat, I think that that's been a, a good addition in some respects and not the best addition in other areas. He's really struggled to score since he's gotten there. He hasn't broken 10 points yet, although he's only played two games. Um, you do expect that his comfort level will go up. The Heat, again, didn't need him to be the same all-star level scorer that he was when he was in Indiana. They just need him to be an above average scorer who's going to score in his spots when he has an open shot, be able to do pick and roll with Bam, get into the paint, kick and spray. They don't need him to take on the entire offensive load. They just need him to be better than what he's been so far in offense. As far as defense, though, that has been really scary to see what the Heat's defensive lineup has looked like ever since he's gotten there. He's getting close to two steals per game since he's arrived. And his defense has been pretty locked on in the perimeter. And that's something that the Heat have been missing for a while is an on-ball defender that can lock down in the perimeter besides Jimmy because you know that Bam, a lot of the times, he's going to have to guard the opposing big. So Jimmy's only going to be able to guard one other perimeter player. You need somebody who's going to be able to guard that quick point guard, speedy type player on the other team. Before, the Heat didn't really have that. They hoped that Avery Bradley would be that guy. It didn't work out. So... Victor Oladipo has really come in and bolstered their defense. And at this point, 
if they can get all their guys healthy and can get just above average production out of Victor Oladipo, they might have one of the deepest teams in the East when you're looking at their two deep. So um, very nice addition for them. Uh, Vucevic, or uh, sorry, Evan Fournier has been underwhelming. His first game for the Celtics went 0 for 10, didn't score at all. Hasn't had really much of an impact since then. The Celtics are still sitting at eighth in the bottom of the East. So um, as far as the trades go, I'd say probably Oladipo and Aaron Gordon are having the best transition, um, if not just because their teams haven't lost at all since they've joined. So it seems to be working for them. What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I think Aaron Gordon was the most seamless fit of all of them. Um, you, I think we talked about this two episodes ago. Um, Vucevic and Aaron Gordon both needed a change of scenery, as well as Evan Fournier. Obviously, Fournier hasn't been amazing the entire time. However, yesterday, I think he was 11 for 11, so he did have a bounce back game. Um, but for all of those guys, you figured that while they were, as a team, performing abysmally on the Magic, as individual parts on different teams, they do better. And both, all three of those guys are showing that they are going to be doing better on their respective teams. I think Jokic is a great passer, so he's going to find Gordon when Gordon's going down the lane. I think it's going to open up Gordon's game even more. Um, Joel Murray also spaces the floor, so it allows Gordon to either drive or he's shooting a three. So I, I think overall Gordon is probably the best fit of all of them. Um, you think that uh, Will Barton probably next year is on his way out as well. So I think it's going to open up more opportunities for both Michael Porter Jr. and Aaron Gordon as well next year. So I think Gordon, seamless fit in Denver, seems to be really enjoying himself. Awesome fit there. Um, and I, I agree with you on Oladipo. Um, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but Oladipo has still been struggling with that leg injury. And so I think that's limited his offensive prowess that you saw uh, in his earlier Indiana days. But I think with Oladipo, as long as he continues to be a lockdown defender, the Heat do have scores and his presence on the floor will allow those scores to continue to put up numbers in high volume. Um, and if he can slowly ease his way into it, I'm sure uh, that Spolstra is also going to be finding ways for him to contribute uh, offensively. And he's been making some pretty sweet passes as well. And some, I think, pass to an assist, which aren't counted. So you don't really see those on the stat sheet in terms of impact on the game. Um, so I, I agree that I think that those two um, have had uh, great success early on. Um, the, the piece that is TBD is drumming with the Lakers. TBD for several reasons. He injured his toe immediately when he got there. Then, obviously, LeBron James and Anthony Davis were both out. Um, <clears throat> the key piece with the Lakers, though, is it seems like his signing really hurt Marc Gasol, which I found comical because Marc Gasol has been regressing the last several years, and this year has not been that impactful overall. He's been impactful in the minutes that he's been on, but overall, they're going away from him for a reason. So he's talking about how he expected to come here and start and how he expected to be, you know, a key contributor on this team. His player efficiency rating is crap at 11.1. His points per game is under five points per game. So 
he's he's not really a big contributor on this team. Montrez Harrell has been doing well, obviously a slight regression from last year, which was expected, but still doing okay. Andre Drummond comes in with not really playing in Cleveland, but even when he's playing in Cleveland, 17.5 points, 13.5 rebounds, player efficiency rating above 20 at 20.2. So I think him with LeBron and with Anthony Davis is going to be amazing. Just think about uh, when Anthony Davis was with Marcus Cousins and they were doing well in uh, New Orleans. So with this, I, I, like I said, I think it's a TBD, but I just found it comical that Marcus Hall is getting up in arms from being relegated when he hasn't been doing that well. Yeah, talking about this addition, I mean, I think that it makes sense for the Lakers to go out and get Drummond right now just because right now signing him has no real long-term implication and they really do need it. They've been hurt. They've been hit by injuries to their front court with LeBron and Davis going down for an extended period of time. But I'm not really as high on the long-term fit of it. Um, If you look at LeBron historically throughout his career, the teams that he's done well on, pretty much every one of those teams has been him. And at min, three other three-point shooters, minimum. Um, he thrives around, uh, around shooters. He needs to be able to get into the lane to do his drive and kick game and distribute. That's one of his best attributes. And I think that having Drummond in there, who is a non-spacer alongside Anthony Davis, who has range out to three occasionally, but isn't consistent, along with LeBron in there, doesn't make for the most ideal spacing. It would probably be, if they went with that, as their starting lineup going forward for the future would probably be the team that has had the worst spacing that he's played on in recent memory um, for the most part. So I I really don't know how it's going to work long-term. I think it's just the kind of thing where they need an emergency stopgap right now, not really loving the fit super long-term. And then the other addition, LaMarcus Aldridge, can't forget about him. He's done just about what, I expected he would do. He's giving you about the same production that he did in San Antonio. The guy is playing like a veteran who is at the end of his career, honestly. I didn't really think that he was going to make a massive impact. I thought that he could help as a rotational piece. But if you're counting on this guy to give you anything more than just average level starter production, then you're probably asking too much. Luckily for LaMarcus, that's exactly what the Nets are asking for. They don't need him to be anything special. But um, other than that, there really hasn't been much to say about his debut. He's put up 11 points, 11 points, you know, average rebounding numbers with nine, one game, three, another. So overall, nothing too crazy. I don't think it changes the complexion of the ceiling or the floor of their team, especially when they have um, Blake Griffin, who's basically more of the same. Yeah, I agree. Well, moving on to changing complexions of a team, Embiid is returning to go against Carl Anthony Towns, which they're definitely not uh, fans of one another. So do you think Embiid can regain his form quickly? And do you think if he stays healthy for the rest of the year, he has a shot to win MVP missing all those games? I think that he definitely has a chance to regain his MVP form and still make a case at winning the title by the end of it. He already put up 24 points on his return. And I think that he's really not going to take too long to get acclimated and return 
to what we were seeing before. Um, and he really didn't miss that much time if you think about it. There are still plenty of games left for him to reassert himself. The 76ers are still at the top of the standings. So there hasn't really been a drop off in terms of their team's production. I think that he's going to come in. He's probably going to take about a week to return back to what we were seeing, like a week or two. And I fully expect for him to be in the conversation when it's all said and done. I think we'll be in the conversation. I do not think that if I, I've been a fan of Jokic all season uh, in terms of him winning the MVP, and I just don't see how they give it to a guy who has around the same stats but has been out significantly more games. Um, and Jokic is leading the league still in player efficiency rating. That's usually the key indicator of whether somebody's going to win MVP or not. So although Embiid is up there, given how many games he's missed, I, I just don't see him winning. But I think he will return to form. Um, and I, I think we'll need it because clearly Doc Rivers uh, said that he doesn't care about whether or not his um, players actually score in the case of Ben Simmons. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how it ends up. I don't think that he's going to end up winning it in the end, but he's definitely going to have a strong case, even though his numbers are similar to Jokic, as you pointed out. The thing is, there's always that narrative with team success. I don't see a situation where the Nuggets finish top three in the West. I just really don't see it happening unless they go on a tear to close out the season. I guess it's possible, but it's probably more likely that the 76ers finish with a higher seed than the Nuggets do. So that's going to be the one thing really working in Embiid's favor. And we can't really forget about James Harden in the conversation for all of this. Um, he self-proclaimed himself the MVP, but he actually does have a good point. Um, he really has been a major difference in the success of his team. But interesting about the matchup with Cat and Embiid on the return, that was a really intense matchup. If you saw it, they got really physical throwing really hard fouls at one another, and they were just going at each other back and forth. That was a really nice old-school matchup to see. You don't really see um, NBA battles between big men anymore in a really perimeter-oriented league. But honestly, I'm of the opinion, after seeing last night, I know that uh, Embiid obviously is coming back from injury. Towns obviously outplayed him. He put up 39 points, 14 rebounds, and five assists, even though they did wind up losing. But what do you think, out of these two guys, all things being equal, if you were going to start a franchise with one of those two, who would you pick? Because I'm honestly of the opinion that Towns is more talented. He just has had the worst situation and probably doesn't have as good of a work ethic. But as a pure talent, I think Towns has probably got the higher ceiling. So I'll, I'll bring a story from my personal life and then analogize it to or Towns. I, when I was playing football um, as a freshman in high school, I had a former player come and talk to our team. And he said that when he started playing football, people would call him um, cupcake or sponge or anything that was just like this absorbent, soft material. And as he got older and played more, he started to harden up. And so I think eventually people started calling him like stale cake or, or something to that effect because he had hardened up finally. And 
if what we saw last night was Carl Anthony Towns becoming a still kick, then yes, I want to build my franchise around him. But he's been so soft and such a cupcake for the last five, six years, however long he's been in the league, that it's not somebody who I'd want to start a franchise around versus Joel Embiid, who is just a great marketing uh, talent in and of himself, but also one of the top 10 players in the league and could be the best player on the court in the league tonight. So I think Carl Anthony Townsend needs to be more consistent with how he was last night overall for me to say I would go with him, but Joel Embiid takes the cake for me right now. The right yeah, I see what you're right saying, game. but you can't forget, man. You can't forget Carl Anthony Towns is only 25. He is younger than Embiid, and it is still possible that if he can escape Minnesota and maybe go to a winning situation, somebody out there might be able to save his career and make that stale cake into more of a rock and a foundation for some team. And hopefully he can achieve the potential that he has because he really would be potentially a top five player in the league if he could ever harness his full potential. I agree. Well, talking about another guy in the league who is out again, Gordon Hayward is missing four weeks due to a foot sprain. What do you think this does for the Hornets? Honestly, I think that Gordon Hayward has like an undiagnosed condition or something where his bones must be made of glass or I don't know what, because it seems any time that I see a headline about Gordon Hayward, it's never because of how many points or something that he did performance-wise. It's always Gordon Hayward out four weeks. Gordon Hayward sprains this. Gordon Hayward broke, fractured that. This guy, I think he's got more injuries than accolades. But honestly, it came, it came at the worst time for the Hornets because right now they're a team that has honestly been overperforming this year and is fighting for playoff seating. And for a team like the Hornets, Playoff seeding really matters for them because let's be real, talent-wise, they're outperforming the talent on their team. They're probably not going to be able to match up with teams at the top of the East in early rounds of the playoffs. It would be to their benefit to get a higher seed, like the fourth seed, and maybe try to avoid some of those tougher matchups. And they had put themselves in a position to do that for the most part. And now they're slowly but surely slipping back. They're now down to six. They lose LaMelo, and now they lose him too. Malik Monk is going to be injured for a little bit also. So it's just coming at the worst time for them as other teams in the East seem to be finding their footing. Um, the Hawks are streaking and are stronger again. The Heat, who are hot and cold, are hot again. So um, it just comes at the worst time for them. And I think that they still probably end up making the playoffs in the end, but it's probably going to be a first-round exit for sure because it's, it's probably going to guarantee them a lower seed now. Yeah, I, I just see their situation as if they consistently get injured, which seems like they've been one of the most injured teams in the league this year, then they're going to have an early exit, not even in the first round, but with the play-in games that are implemented this season, I could see them losing to the Knicks, the Celtics, the Pacers, the Bulls, the Raptors, any of these teams that are sitting from 7 to 10 right now. If the Hornets find themselves on 7 downward, they're, I feel, definitely going to lose to one of those teams just because uh, those teams, I feel, will be more at uh, full strength than the Hornets, given their uh, injury. Yeah, I agree with that. Hopefully they can get some of these guys back soon. And it's not one of those situations, again, where they say he's out a month, but it's really two. So um, 
bad break for them, no pun intended. But moving on to <laughs> moving on to uh, some of our latest signings, we've got Drew Holiday getting paid. It seems the Bucks just love handing out extensions. This oh, guy gets. You had such an opportunity there. The Bucks handing out the Bucks. Come on. <laughs> That's good. You're right. You're right. The Bucks handing out the Bucks. Four years, 135 million worth, potentially up to 160 million with incentives. What do you make of this deal? Was it a good deal for the Bucks? And what does this mean for the future of their team? Uh, well, this deal lines up with Giannis's deal. Um, and so I think it's saying, look, we are putting everything to winning in the next four to five years. That's what our goal is as the team. We brought Drew here. We traded three first round picks, mortgaged a little bit of our future. The Bucks aren't going to be a free agent destination. And for Drew, Although his numbers from an overall standpoint are a little bit down, his uh, splits right now are about even compared to last year for per 36 minutes. And then his offensive rating this year per 100 possessions is actually up to 122, which is the highest that it's been in his career. So Drew is playing well this year, and he is probably one of the better teammates that Giannis has ever played with. And on top of that, Chris Middleton is still doing well this year. So I think they're really going into this with two homegrown talents plus getting through. We're going to go all out for the next four years, be in the tax and, uh, and that's it. So I, I think for Drew, um, it will be interesting to see if he lives up to the contract overall. I don't know that he will, although his free throw percentage is up to 81% this year which is better than it's been in the last uh, five years. Good indicator, like you say, about true shooting percentage. His three-point percentage is up uh, as high as it's been since the 2013-2014 season. Field goal percentage is up. So overall, he's being much more efficient with the ball. Um, his PER is 20.2 compared to 17 for his career. So he's, he's doing well this year. For the Bucks, and I think this is one taking care of him because he did well, but two just showing the commitment to Giannis, to the fans, to everybody that we're going to spend the money to keep our great guys here, and we're we're going to win. We're we're here to win, whether they do or not, we'll see. But I I don't hate the move. No one's going to Milwaukee, and so they're they're keeping one of their guys. Yeah, I mean, this is just, it's tough because basically this signing, this extension is basically the Bucks admitting that they know that they will never get a marquee free agent to sign there, no matter what, even yeah. if they have Giannis and Chris Middleton. And that sucks because, I mean, let's be real, Drew Holiday, I'm, I'm not like putting the guy down. I think that he's a great player. He's honestly such an underrated defender. People don't give him enough credit for that. He plays both sides of the ball. Um, he's got no real weaknesses. It's not like he's bad at anything or has any glaring deficiency. But I think that this is still a bad deal because I don't think that he's worth 135 to 160 million when you're telling me that, yes, his percentages are up and they're good. But granted, we're still talking about who's, who's putting up 17 points a game, 4.6 rebounds and 5.4 assists. Is that worth 135 million 
to 160 million? I really don't think so. And if it was going to be worth that, it would only be on the premise that you're giving that kind of money to a younger player whose production is likely to increase over the lifespan of that contract. And that's not going to be the case here. Like Drew Holiday is 30 years old. We can reasonably assume based on what we've seen for most players that the rest of this contract, it's not going to be him going up. It's going to be best case scenario, him maintaining this, but most likely it's going to be a downward slope. So you're going to end up paying more per year for an aging Drew Holiday and a core that you're, you're basically locking yourself into this core now because you're not going to have any money either to pay anybody else that's impactful. So now your core is going to be Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. That's going to be your main guys going forward. No knock on Chris Middleton. He's really great too, but he is more of like your third best player if you really want to win than your second best player if you really want to win because I see a lot of teams out there who have a better second best player than Chris Middleton. And I see a lot of teams out there who have a better third best player than Drew Holiday. So I think that right now, what I'm seeing is the hot or uh, the Bucks committing to at best being a team that makes the Eastern conference finals and probably never makes it to the finals period. Cause the way that other teams are constructed right now around them, they're put in position with better cores than the Bucks are for the next couple of years. I really don't see this move being one that, um, I mean, I guess it depends on what you're, what you deem as success. If you consider like the goal as just being a playoff team that consistently makes it into the second round or third round, then yeah, that is a successful signing. But if your goal was to win a championship, like Giannis says, then this was not a success. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, this, this deal, like every deal, will be a TBD. If they end up winning a championship, doesn't matter. Like, he could be an irrelevant player for the next three years if they want a championship this year. Like, it, it, it's it's money well spent. The fans are going to love it. They don't. They won't care. Um, also, I think looking at this deal and thinking about league revenue beyond this year. Uh, fans are likely going to start filling stadiums again as vaccines get distributed, as cases go down for COVID. Um, I think that TV viewership will continue to increase as well. I think they just signed a new uh, deal, the NBA did, for um, uh, like TV sponsorship. So all in all, players are getting already $50 million a year contracts. He right now is at $40 million, So... He's, if the trend continues and the salary cap continues to increase as I expect it will, this deal in three years when he's regressed more so is going to look like a upper mid-level deal rather than a max deal, which is what it currently is right now. So I think that's another thing to look at with this um, is that it's, it's a lot right now, but I think it's similar to what the Grizzlies did with Mike Conley, where they gave him a lot of money, never been an all-star, did well for the team, did well by the team. And um, I mean, there's plenty of other players that you think are better than Mike Conley. However, well, it turned out they're great not going for the Grizzlies, didn't it? <laughs> but yeah, that's fine. But it, like, no, no fan is going to be like, you should have never paid Mike Conley that much. So. Uh, I guess, I guess, I guess it all depends on what you deem a success. 
But other signings that also were made probably won't be as impactful or as prominent as the Drew Holiday signing. But IT gets another opportunity. Isaiah Thomas is getting a 10-day proven contract from the Pelicans. And DeMarcus Cousins is getting a 10-day proven contract from the Clippers. Out of these two signings, do you predict that either of these two guys will actually stick and make an impact? Or will they both basically just play out these 10-day contracts and that will be the end of it? I think they'll both at least get a second 10-day contract. Um, and I think both of them have a chance to stick and stay around. I mean, for the from the Clippers' side, um, I think DeMarcus is going to mesh well with Paul George and with Kawhi. Um, I, I think for both of these guys, they need this opportunity to – stay in the league like Dwight Howard did uh, last year. Uh, remember, Rondo just went over to the Clippers and Rondo was with DeMarcus in um, LA last year, as well as with him in New Orleans. And they really got along and they really enjoyed each other as teammates. So I think that um, he's going to make a positive impact on the team overall. They do have Ibaka and Zubac as their two centers. Um, he can definitely get some minutes there from one or both of them. So I think that uh, it, I think he'll make a bigger impact than Isaiah um, to start, but for the Pelicans, it's not really a risky signing. They're uh, down in the standings right now. They're sitting in uh, 11, the 11th spot at 22 and 27. Uh, they did win yesterday, but for the Pelicans, um, Lonzo's a good distributor. Lonzo's shooting a three as well. They get another guy who can uh, be good on offense. Isaiah Thomas looked good when he played the U.S. exhibition games recently. So I think for both of them, I'm happy for both of them. We've been talking about it for the last two or three episodes that they hopefully will, but should get contracts as well, at least to try out for teams. But if either of them don't finish out the season on these teams, I think it'll be very hard for them to be back in the league without either going overseas or just calling quits. Yeah, I can I can definitely see what you're saying about that. For me personally, I can see DeMarcus Cousins actually staying on that team and making somewhat of an impact. I don't think he's going to return to all-star form or anything like that, but we have reason to believe that DeMarcus can at least put a reasonable production. He did play this year for the Rockets earlier in the year, and he had some games where he scored over double figures and got um, over five rebounds per appearance. So it's really not that big of a stretch to see him being able to put up some sort of production. Isaiah Thomas, on the other hand, is trying out for a team that is coached by Mike or uh, that is coached by Stan Van Gundy, who is somebody that is very, very stingy on defense and has been preaching defense ever since he got into the league. And honestly, it's one of the biggest problems for this team right now. If they were better on defense, they probably would be in the playoff race because their offense isn't bad. Um, and I, I think that Isaiah Thomas's biggest weakness his whole career has been that. So I don't expect him to all of a sudden be an average or contributing defender at this point in his career, given the injuries that he's had. And you know with the hip injury, what it does with your lateral mobility and lateral quickness. Obviously, those are essential things to playing defense. So I think that they just kicked the tires on him just to see. But ultimately, I think he gets let go. We'll see. I mean, but the thing with him is if he comes in and 
I'm not saying he's coming and play locking on defense, but if he does come in and scores 10 points a game on 50% shooting from the field and shows that he can still have some moves, obviously he's a little rusty having sat out, then maybe another team kicks the tires on him. But it, I don't think anybody's going to be looking at him as, all right, we are missing our one key cog on defense, and now we've got Isaiah Thomas uh, in to fill that void. I think it's more for an offensive Spark, I think he's going to fill with J.J. Redick left. Uh, he was playing 18.6 minutes on that team. So I think with the amount of minutes that J.J. was playing, if they'll start to shift over and make their way to IT and can make a bigger impact than J.J. did, maybe stays on the team. Who knows? Yeah, at the very least, he might provide a little bit more playmaking. So I hope that it ends up working out. I just don't see it happening. All right, man. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Give us the verdict. Kevin Durant has been fined 50K by the NBA over his recently exposed Instagram DMs to Michael Rappaport. Is he guilty of any actual wrongdoing that would merit an NBA fine, given that they were private messages? And was the punishment appropriate? Um, I think he's guilty of the fact that Kevin Durant is clearly outspoken and always has been known to basically not take crap from anybody. So you have to know that when you press enter on any device or when you record something like we do on Court of Opinion, that stuff's out there for the world to consume. Employers can see it. Fans can see it. The public can see it. So he is guilty of sending uh, some pretty explicit language um, that was very slanderous uh, in many ways. However... Michael Rappaport's a snake. Michael Rappaport should have been fined <laughs> $500,000 by the NBA. He should be banned from all Nets games for life. He should be banned by the NBA for at least one year. He should not be allowed to do conferences or um, junkets or uh, interviews like he did today. Uh, I, I think it was on Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp's show. Um, He's coming out like he's the victim. He's like, people are now bullying me at the park and they're not wanting to play with my dog because like, dude, you posted the pictures. How are you so like traumatized by the fact that people are mad at you? Like you posted the pictures. You didn't have to post them. You didn't have to engage with Kevin Durant. You posted the pictures. I hope everybody at the dog park never wants to play with your dog again. I hope no one wants to have dinner with you again because you know what? All those people are going to be thinking Michael Rappaport's going to take a picture of my dog taking a poop and Michael Rappaport's going to post it. And now when I don't pick that up, Michael Rappaport's going to report that or Michael Rappaport's my friend and he's going to post some stupid phrase that I sent to him back in the day just because he's mad at me. So I hope he gets cut off from everybody. I hope the NBA cuts him off as well. Yeah, I think that Kevin is guilty of being a really sensitive guy. Um, I think that as an NBA player, it's kind of, I mean, you're, it's a given that people are going to talk crap about you no matter what you do. You can be like the biggest winner in the league and you're still going to have a bunch of people. They're going to say all kinds of crazy stuff and nonsense about you. It just comes to the territory of being a star athlete. And I think that as a star athlete, as big as Kevin Durant, you, you should like basically know that and let it roll off your back. On the other hand, I think that Michael Rappaport making himself a victim is completely a joke. 
You don't go, like you said, um, airing out dirty laundry, making it public. I think anytime you make private stuff public, you're asking for trouble. And you really can't get mad about the repercussions or make yourself the victim when you open that up, you opened that Pandora's box. So I agree with that, but I disagree with the NBA finding Kevin Durant for this. Um, as much as he shouldn't have said any of those things, it really happened outside of the realm of basketball. It's not like this guy was shouting it at a fan or at a game or in any way while he was representing the Nets or the NBA. These were like private messages between Kevin Durant, the private individual, and Michael Rappaport, the private individual. I don't think that the NBA should be able to have any kind of um, say with fines on the way that you choose to communicate your language in a private capacity. So I, I disagree with the fine, but I agree with a lot of the points you made. But on to the yeah, next Yeah, I one. think that's why I'm saying fine Michael Rappaport 10 times that amount. Right, by right. the NBA, ban him from the NBA. Yeah, yeah. Like if, if you're going to give Kevin Durant a fine, albeit 50K to Kevin Durant is like 50 cents to us. So it's, I think if anything, the NBA is trying to just save face from the, the language that was in there and the like. The, they just want to make sure the, they're not offending anybody just in case. Correct, exactly, exactly. They're just like, hey, I know that I know that uh, this could have been, you know, offensive to a lot of people. Just in case, let's just throw the cover all. We did do something about this. Don't be mad at us. So, all right, we get what the NBA is trying to do. I just think that the NBA has no place in uh, in having a say in how you communicate as a private individual when you're not representing the NBA. So, I think what you do in a private capacity, regardless of what that is, if it's not against the law, which, as far as I know. It's not a crime. I'm, I'm sure we've all cussed somebody out and said some stuff that we regret. I don't think that um, the NBA should have any say in that. But um, on to the next one. LaMelo Ball has been recently spending his time off with adult film actress Tiana Trump, despite his father's warnings to stay away from social media and entertainment business types. It looks like he's going completely the opposite direction. Is LaMelo guilty of anything here or is this just overblown? I think he's guilty of trying to have a good time. Like LaMelo <laughs> is just living his best life right now um, and happens to be dating an adult film actress. So I, I think LaVar, it's rich coming from him that his sons should stay out of the spotlight and should stay away from entertainment and social media types because if... LeVar's message to his kids as well when he was younger or when they were younger was do as I say, not as I do. Um, actions speak louder than words. Kids are going to follow whatever it is that you do. So if you bring your kids to Lithuania and Australia and make them the focal point of those uh, areas, you talk all the smack that you do all over ESPN all over whatever channel will give you airtime. You get a Facebook reality TV show. You're pretty much telling your kids at every point you should get publicity. You should go after the biggest headline. You should go after the controversial things. And honestly, um, Lonzo has 
done the complete opposite. Lonzo has not been in the limelight. Lonzo has stayed quiet, stayed reserved to himself. Um, LaMelo's kind of done the same from like a face value perspective, but I also think he was under LeVar more during LeVar's media craze. So I think LaMelo's innocent of like doing anything wrong, but guilty of just trying to live his best life and have a good time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's not really doing anything right now. He is injured, but I understand where LeVar is coming from. It is hypocritical coming from him because he is somebody that, like you said, pushed this idea of being in the Hollywood spotlight and being on entertainment shows and all this and trying to brand yourself. Now telling him, hey, stay away from the entertainment types is kind of hypocritical, but he is right in the message if you look at precedent. I don't have to name or list the dozens of careers that the variety of Kardashians have destroyed. And Scotty Pippen can tell you better than I that these entertainment types are pretty toxic and probably not the best in a young player's development. Um, I think overall, it just brings a lot of distractions that you don't need, especially when you're at a point in your career where you should be focusing on growth and development. Um, but at the same time, it's not like this guy's keeping her around and bringing her to the locker room and causing distractions for his team. He's not doing anything right now anyway. So as long as he continues to perform when he gets back on the court, you can't really say he's guilty of anything. I guess Maybe we'll have James to Harden see. is his mentor. James Harden would be proud. He definitely would. James Harden's probably asking for his number right now. But on to the next one. Despite making an overall positive impact on the court for the Heat so far, Victor Oladipo has generally struggled to score and has been held to single-digit points in his first two games. He revealed later on that despite playing high-volume minutes, he's still trying to find his balance, as one leg is still stronger than the other. Is Depot guilty of making excuses for his recent struggles, or is his best yet to come, like he said in the interview the week before? Um, I, I think he's guilty on both. I think he's definitely guilty for making excuses um, in terms of why he isn't the way that he is or why he isn't to full strength. Um, and I mean, he's giving, it's, it's an excuse, but it is an, a, re, a reasonable excuse. Um, I also think that it's true that his best is yet to come uh, at this moment. I think the Heat have a way with their organization, with the conditioning and with the training that they put their players through. It's what they call culture. It's what everybody knows them to be. There are many stories of people going in there that were overweight. Uh, the biggest one that I remember was Eddie Curry back in the day, and they have to get them into the into shape or else those people don't play. So I don't think Oladipo came terribly out of shape, but nobody comes in really in heat shape from all the interviews that people have. Nobody comes in and is like, yeah, I'm ready to go for the Miami Heat. And so I think Oladipo will continue to make strides and improve his game alongside the new pieces there. He's already acclimated or at least bought in to the heat culture overall. Um, and I think if he ends up 
performing poorly or at least not to where they thought he would this year, then I think next year he gets a prove-it deal. I think you and I were texting about this the other day. I think he gets a prove-it deal, a one-plus-one team option on 14, 15 million uh, each year to keep him around, allow him to continue to learn the playbook, get acclimated to the team, be acclimated to heat culture over the course of an entire offseason, and then see what he does next year. And then if it's not working out or at least not where they thought it would be, then they terminate that team option, sign him for a mid-level exception, or let him walk somewhere else. Yeah, I think that you're like completely right on everything that you said. I think that he is definitely like telling the truth about one leg being stronger than the other. He did have a ruptured quad. That is an injury that takes a really long time to heal. But at the same time, it is an excuse because even with the current injury status and where he is in his, in his rehab right now, he was still averaging 33 minutes per game for the Rockets. And he was still putting up 21 points a game for the Rockets, even though it was inefficient. It was on 40% shooting. He was still putting up 21 points a game and averaging 33 minutes a game. So the drop off that he's had, um, it's, it's huge. The field goal percentage is down across the board over 15% for both his field goal percentage and his three point percentage. So I think part of it is he just needs to settle in. Um, I don't expect him to be shooting this bad um, for the rest of the time that he's with the heat, because let's be real, like you can't possibly do this badly. Like if you were shooting this low percentage across the board, you'd never see playing time. So I definitely expect him to improve. Um, as far as him saying that his best of his career is yet to come, I hope that's the case. Um, I would love to see it. It would be really amazing to see a Heat team with a full strength Oladipo because it's probably one of the deepest teams in the East if, if that actually happened. Um, but what's lucky for him is they, again, they don't need him to be that guy. They just need him to be solid and to be, you know, 75 to 80% of what that all-star level was. So if he can get back to that, I think it'll be a really successful pairing between both him and the Heat. So, but yeah, I agree. One year plus one at the end of the season, if he doesn't round into shape, they probably separate. And if it works out, he gets the extension. Well, I know you were asking me for some what's the verdict, but we have some breaking news that I would like to ask you. So effective immediately, ESPN is parting ways with Paul Pierce. If you saw over the weekend, Paul Pierce was posting uh, some lewd videos of him playing <laughs> poker with strippers in the background, um, providing massages as well as dancing for the camera. ESPN is owned by Disney, so it is expected that that is likely the reason. Is Paul Pierce guilty of wanting to get fired for being too truthful? <laughs> um, yeah, that, that honestly, I feel like he must have had accident i feel like he must have not meant to put that on live like that can't be how could he possibly post that like there's clearly strippers on the background he's smoking a cigar i mean the guy what did he think people were going to think he was doing and from what i'm hearing it was on his kid's birthday i mean the guy has just no regard the guy just did not care and i feel like he cost himself that job and he really deserved to lose it. Honestly, I didn't really like his analysis anyway. 
I thought his analysis was always crazy regardless. And I think that he basically was just riding off the coattails of that one successful season he had with the Celtics when he won the championship. But honestly, I'm not really sad to see him go. And I think that he's definitely guilty of being an idiot. How do you post that live? Yeah, the, the, I think Paul Pierce's defining moment as an ESPN analyst will forever be when he tried to roast Dwayne Wade and Jalen Rose with Michelle Beadle sat there and told Paul Pierce all of the different accolades that Dwayne Wade had over him, that he made <laughs> all NBA more times, that he made all NBA first team more times, that he was an NBA champion more times, that he was a scoring champion and Paul Pierce was not. And he just listed one by one every single thing that Dwayne Wade accomplished that Paul Pierce never did. So Paul Pierce was definitely always a Heat hater, was definitely always a, a Wade hater. Um, and I agree with you. I didn't think that he had very solid analysis or commentary overall. Um, I felt like him and T-Mac never really did have uh, good commentary overall. So it's, it's not a surprise that Paul Pierce is gone. I think he was likely going to be gone soon just because of his poor commentary, but definitely expedited the process with uh, his choices. Yeah, it was crazy. I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't even a cigar either. I'm pretty sure it was a blood too. Like he must have, that must have been an accident. He must have been trying to send that video to somebody and he probably was just drunk and didn't know that he posted it live. I just like, can't believe while that you're he live, would do you're, that. While you're live, you're legit recording yourself for the entirety of it. And people are posting hearts and comments and like he had to have read on this comment, like all of the things that people are saying in real time. So either he was that out of it or he, he meant to do it. Yeah, it's unreal. But like again, I'm not going to be sad to see him go. Well, with that, I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. Court is a germ!